Hi, and welcome to the Red Tunic Podcast, a podcast where I look to rediscover what makes gaming fun and enjoyable by having a positive conversation with those related to the industry. My name is Link, and today I'm joined by Akabaka, developer for the up-and-coming Chromatos and Sucker for Love, First Date, both being visual novels with their own unique twists, and both currently having demos available on Steam. Hi, Akabaka. How are you doing today? Hi, doing great. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks so much for asking. So, Akabaka, for those that aren't aware of who you are or what you do, would you mind telling me and, you know, the listeners a little, little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So, um... Uh, I'm a Baltimore-based uh, developer that makes primarily uh, anime-inspired roleplay games and visual novels. Uh, chiefly, that would be my uh, Chromatos game and my uh, Sucker for Love game. To kind of trim them down to a few, Chromatos is about being trapped in a coma with a bunch of other uh, comatose patients who need to go back through their memories and undo mistakes that put them in a coma in order to wake up in 12 hours where they never do. And then Sucker for Love is... Uh, it is a uh, <laughs> it's a dating sim where you try to smooch Eldritch Horrors. So, <laughs> thank you, thank you for for you know the the succinct introduction there, and um, I can definitely understand. I don't want to say the hesitation, but you know the 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 way you um, were working yourself into Sucker for uh, Love, uh, only because it's such a fascinating twist on the whole visual novel dating sim. And I don't mean, you know, I don't mean to, to dismiss or disregard Chromatos because that also is a very interesting way to go about it. And I've looked at, you know, looked into it and the, the whole RPG element or aspects of it as well. And both, you know, both are very interesting and have, you know, that unique twist. But Sucker for Love, uh, the demo that, uh, well, prelude, uh, whatever you want to call which was included in the dread x i believe it's the prelude um it was presented in such a almost wholesome way uh, and i say almost because all things considered it's eldritch horror and there you know the the scenario around what you're doing or trying to do um is somewhat terrifying but <laughs> it's it's such a wholesome approach to a weird a perfect like an, an amazingly weird venn diagram of things that usually don't overlap uh if that, if that makes any sense to what i'm trying to say yeah no it does um <laughs> a horror and romance is like my favorite genre combination personally and so um this it was kind of a natural uh product for me to uh generate especially with the uh, prompt for the Drex 2 collection being we had to make something that had love mechanics, crafting mechanics, and Lovecraftian horror. Um, basically, a Lovecraftian dating sim was pretty much the only thing I could come up with in the uh, short time. And uh, it, ultimately, I think I'm pretty... Uh, it, it's exactly the type of game that I would play, for better or worse. And, you, you know, and that's that's fantastic that that's the... And that that is what you ended at with the the constraints that they give gives, mm -hmm. um, and you know, because you kind of you, you know I I do agree with what you said that the the horror elements and like the 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 love aspect or what have you are are a very interesting way to overlap. And would it be a stretch to say that you know as a developer of visual novels, um, or at least you know into that vein, uh, that you are a fan of them. Of visual novels or of... Uh... Yes. Yes, yeah, I am. So, with that in mind, uh, and I apologize if you've been asked this before and it's an overdone question, but what made you want to take the wholesome approach? Because from my understanding, uh, typically when a visual novel is going to have the horror aspect but still kind of have the, the uh, love aspect or the romance aspect, it's rarely presented in such a wholesome way and i could be wrong i'm not an expert but what made you what made you lean into such a wholesome aspect for it uh yeah yeah, yeah so um it is uh it is atypical but it isn't necessarily rare i think for um visual novels and indie games to uh you know uh bait you in with something cute and then hit you over the head with a baseball bat of horror <laughs> Uh, I mean, you 
got, you know, Doki Doki Literature Club. You know, it looks like it's going to be a silly visual novel dating sim, but it's actually a psych horror. Um, in a way, Five Nights at Freddy's 2 was the prim- Five Nights at Freddy's as well, not 2, um, is, you know, taking something somewhat cute uh, animatronic and then turning it into high horror. Um, I feel like that's, um, that, that it, it creates kind of an interesting uh, dichotomy from the get-go. And so that's what the plan was with Sucker for Love to kind of give off the facade of it being, hey, look, it's a, it's a you know, silly, lighthearted uh, anime sim where you date a monster girl, which is common. And then and, uh, I kind of subvert the expectations of that. And almost it's almost a double subversion because instead of being like, hey, guess what? It looks like it was going to be super cute, but it's actually uh, a high horror. I almost promised from the beginning that was going to be horror because you're dating a Lovecraftian horror. And you know, I, you're right. I, I, I forgot completely about you know, uh, for example, Doki Doki Literature Club about how mm-hmm. that one kind of, uh, you know, brought you in and tricked you, so to say. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's, it's you're right, and I'm, I like, I just love the idea of what you're doing with sucker for love and hopefully it it succeeds because uh having a little more palatable uh you know horror visual novels in like that in my mind are are great because a lot of the horror romance ones i've seen in the past they lean very hard into horror in a a much harder form to digest if Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense to you and again i'm not an expert but the ones I have seen are very hard to digest um, for myself, at least. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Um, accessibility is always um, something I'm, I'm looking at. Uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be in the game, like if we, if we end up getting enough time. But one thing I was actually um, considering doing is putting a small little meta, um, uh, like jump scares disabled mode. Essentially, I, I, I found out from the uh, first uh, demo that went out that a lot of people wanted to play it, but are kind of weenies with horror, which I am too. <laughs> and um, although they were very interested in playing, just wouldn't be able to put up with the uh, scares and the uh, jump scares and the um, startling events. And so one thing I was considering putting in and might, if I have enough time is a uh, sort of protected mode where um, you get a warning before a jump scare happens so that, you know, people that aren't accustomed to horror aren't, um, it's not prohibitively scary for them to be able to play. And, you know, as someone that was uh, quite startled by the, the, the jump scares that you did have, mm-hmm. um, my, I think they're relatively minor. However, um, I think that's a great thing to do. And, you know, as someone who's a fan of accessibility options in games, I think that's a wonderful idea. And if you have, like, I hope you do have the time to do that. Because, you know, it's, it, 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 I just think it's a fantastic way to, you know, go about it. So that way people can relax and play it and still enjoy the horror-ish elements, but not have to worry about something jumping out and, you know, actively disrupting them or ruining their, their mood or their, their comfort, you know? Yeah, no, people that, you know, people, some people like them, some people hate them, um, you know, it's. Being able to turn it off for somebody that wants it turned off is always a plus, I think. Definitely. Wakabaka, if you don't mind, can you explain how it is you got into developing and making games? And, you know, as well, based on the experiences that you had getting into that, uh, what kind of advice you could give for those seeking to also get into the industry? Sure. So, um... (laughs) I've been um, doing things akin to dungeon mastering since I was a kid. Uh, I think when um, Super Smash Bros. Melee came out on the GameCube, they had this thing called Adventure Mode, which is where you got to take uh, the characters from the roster on sort of this fantastical adventure through the game, like you know, spanning. You know, sometimes you you do a level that was based from Super Mario, or one times you get one from Metroid, so on and so forth. And it's like, I thought. I think that's kind of where it all began for me with um, 
you know, sort of taking these cool characters, putting them through crazy stories. Um, I then um, started uh, uh, asking for Bionicles and Legos and toys for my birthday so that I could do the same stories for my little brother. And so when we played together, I would be like the dungeon master kind of controlling all the NPCs and he'd have his own character and I'd be coming up with the story that way. And after years and years of doing that, it evolved into me being like a dungeon master for my friends, where in lieu of like um, stats and abilities and dice rolls, it was purely like a homebrew. You make a decision and then you face the consequences. And uh, after years of doing that and getting really attached to these characters and their stories and their backstories and personalities, I thought it was kind of a shame that I wasn't going to be able to share all of this all this stuff I put so much work into with anyone besides these five other nerds sitting around a table. So uh, I, I pursued a couple of different mediums to try to share that story with other people, including like a 2D pixel art type thing and even an uh, animation very, very briefly until I kind of settled on like an RPG being the best format to convey the types of stories that I like to tell because they give you lots of options for making decisions and acting out your character. And from there, I started making games like Chromatos, which was my first game, and I'm still working on it. But um, that is kind of how I arrived at making these highly interactive, your decisions matter type experiences for visual novels and video games. And then uh, you said advice for people getting into this. I would say, number one, <laughs> I learned the hard way, but make your first game very short. <laughs> um, uh, well, so I've been on Chromatos maybe three years or so by now, um, from its beginning, and uh, I've I've learned a lot from this experience. Is one way to say it. Um, um, it's I would definitely recommend making many short uh, games inspired by whatever you're most interested in. Like, if you've got a favorite game, try figuring out what's your favorite about it and then making a short game about that, um, I think, is a kind of recipe for success. Because these games that usually do well are usually passion projects inspired by the developers' like favorite games. And so if you do that and you keep the game very small in scale, I think you're setting yourself up for success. And, you know, thank you, because that, that's that's great advice, uh, you know, to, to keep it small and to also find things that you like from from other games or what have you and to try and incorporate that into like a little tiny project and you know go from there i i really like the the um the 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 dming if you will approach mm -hmm. that you took for uh for your little brother with with bionicles and then you know kind of homebrewing uh for your friends i i especially like the idea that you weren't really having to do well, at least it sounded like you weren't really having to do dice rolls and checks and balances in the traditional sense, and that you were more, you know, playing it out on a very narrative-driven style. And I, I just, I really like the idea of that just because, you know, it allows for real free-form things, and then, you know, you, you kind of just have your, your own internal checks and balances for throwing it back at them to see what kind of things happen. And I just really like that as well. And I just, I find it absolutely wild that, you know, you started with, with Bionicles and setting them up and just giving your, your, your siblings a, a, uh, a, 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 a custom, you know, bespoke little adventure using, using those toys. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Kabaka, um, what is your your what was your favorite game as a child and what was it about that game that made it your favorite so that was the uh that was probably the smash brothers melee for the uh reason that i said with the adventure mode it was getting to take all the characters on the crazy adventures i think um that and a little bit later i also uh liked the uh what do you call it uh Per, um the persona series is probably the next a little like further down the line after smash brothers was probably um that influenced my 
uh, storytelling was very much Persona, like Persona 3 and Persona 4 for the pretty much the same reason, the the heavy role play, the heavy, um, the heavy uh, emphasis on uh, playing out your character and your relationships with the other characters, which I think is how I got started on making so many games that have romance mechanics is um, the Persona games had these things called social links where you could spend times with characters. And eventually, after listening to them talk about themselves seven or eight times, they fall in love with you. And <laughs> um, the, the, um, the I, I'm just kind of a sucker for games that have romance mechanics in them just because they let you... They, it, it, it immediately gives you a reason to care about the, the, the story. I was like, hey, there's this character, and they exist. You're like, oh, okay. It's like, hey, this character exists, and they are your partner, like boyfriend or girlfriend. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so, um, it's, it's somewhat a, it's it's a little bit of a, a plot hijacking, like it's a little bit of a, a trick to get people to care, but it's also I just really enjoy it. And you know, I completely agree on the persona side of things for RPGs, and it was, you know, in my mind, it was a really great way to take the take the series i know that that's kind of you know split and divided for some people um usually the the real old fans uh, which luckily i am not so i can say this without any form of issue but um i think that was one of the things that really kind of made it more palatable in in just in general because you're right because you immediately formed bonds with characters and it wasn't even like it was a well, it was an optional thing, technically, but it wasn't even like it was a optional thing in the sense that it was just there to do if you wanted at your leisure, right? It was there to do because you could easily gamify it to raise your to raise your um your stats for uh, your your in battle allies, your your this the S links for the the different arcanas and such, and that was like such a I don't want to say underhanded, but it was such subverted or that's still even the wrong word. Uh, it was such a um, low key, I guess, way to sort of slip in that game mechanic and give you a reason to actually bond with the characters um, mm -hmm. instead of just letting you do it and making it a thing that only some people are going to do, you know? Yeah. And um, that was, uh, that was also one point of divergence between me and persona is that um, one of my, pet peeves with roleplay games is like silent main characters um that's my only kind of gripe with their social link system is that there's they're there's they're trying to show like a relationship growing between you and this other character but your character is like dead silent and so most of your bonding most of your relationships is just the other character talking about themselves at great length and then falling in love with you for listening to them <laughs> and so um one thing that I try to do is when you come into a like whenever um most of my games you can't really customize your character like in Chromatos you have to play as Leroy a very specific person with a very specific personality and in Sucker for Love first date you have to play as D who also has like a set personality set appearance and everything um that way when he interacts with the other characters in the game um I can show you know dynamism between them I can show uh, conflict. I can show uh, interesting back and forths that I think are kind of missing when one of them is just listening. And so that's another sort of design element that went into the games that I make. And, you know, that that's a really interesting way to do it. And I, I, I understand where you're coming from. And I think that's a, you know, a great thing because, uh, you know, well, while some games like, you know, for Persona and other JRPGs where they treat you as the blanks, uh, blank slate so that you can easily or better impart um or reflect yourself into them and and all of that uh and that's okay for you know for some people but having a set story where you are playing as someone and you get to see you know maybe that person uh, doing things that you wouldn't typically do but at the same time you know you're you're telling a narrative story and you're giving them direction where they're playing a person and not themselves and I think that's that's a great way to do it uh, because, you know, I, I appreciate both. I appreciate uh, getting to participate in a story as well as getting to lead the story. And I hope 
Oh, I shouldn't say hope. I'm, I'm fairly confident that you understand what I'm saying. And most people that have played JRPGs also probably have an idea of what I'm what I'm trying to say with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely, you know, um, some people just want, you know, self-insert characters. And that's, you know, that's fine. It's a matter. It really is a matter of taste at the end of the day. I just personally believe uh, in a in a fantasy world where you can be whoever you want. Um, I don't understand why you would choose to just be yourself. You know, when you can be anybody or anything, you know, sometimes it might be a little bit more fun to play somebody cooler than you or somebody meaner than you or somebody, you know, richer than you. Yeah, it's 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 all fantasy. So it's it's um, surprising to me that so many of these isekai type games or isekai type stories or fantasy games just involve you basically being who you already are, if not someone worse. (laughs) Yes, and I. You know, I completely understand where you're coming from there. And for those that don't exactly know what an isekai uh, is, it's um, a genre that has come out of Japan uh, for from light visual novels, uh, not visual novels, light visual or just light novels, sorry, uh, where it's basically the, the main character is transported to another world. In a lot of cases, it is by death uh, in the, the current world and they get a chance to be reborn. And like you said, typically they do not try to better themselves and in some cases they just become worse versions of themselves because now they feel they have less um scrutiny i guess you would say less uh reason to not be who they were um but yeah no i completely understand what you're saying and yeah i think it's i think that's a good approach for you know being i think that's a good approach for being able to tell a narrative story and i can definitely understand why uh, someone that started as a, you know, DMing things would also gravitate towards that because, you know, if you're already used to telling all these stories where you make these characters that are going to be interacting and, and talking and, and you know, uh, having conflicts and such, uh, I can, you know, it's it's very easy to see how you get from point A to point B. And, you know, I think most people that do a lot of or have done a lot of uh, DMing and such typically have uh, a good grasp of uh, narrative direction. Uh, at least that is my understanding and my experience. I yeah, I know I, I don't I shouldn't say that for certainty. However, you know, as I said, I imagine, you know, you have a good idea of what you're trying to do and probably execute it relatively well, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I, I agree. It definitely is a matter of taste. Um some people like being themselves, some people like being someone different. Um just to make an example like say uh, another one of my favorite games bayonetta i'm i'm pretty sure that like 90 percent of the player base is not sexy six foot tall women in high heels um but I, nonetheless i'm sure they enjoy playing <laughs> yeah you know 100 i i really enjoyed playing bayonetta for a myriad of reasons and <laughs> one of them was the sheer insanity of what you got to do and if I if I I don't know if this is the right way to put it but also being able to play as a crazy you know I forget how old she is but like as a crazy incredibly old witch woman that you know is is arguably you know a real a real bad yeah uh, gets to go out and do her stuff and you get to just watch all this stuff happening as all this crazy stuff is happening on the screen. You're like, oh, I'm doing this. And you're you're playing as someone that is typically underrepresented in games. And yeah. I think that's great. And, you know, I enjoyed myself. I have no qualms with it. I know some people probably did. And, you know, I don't really care about those people's opinions on the <laughs> matter. But, but yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, getting to, to, to view a different person's narrative um, is, is always fun, right? Yeah, exactly. So kind of, you know, I think we we already kind of touched on this. Um, So this is, you know, it's kind of a two-part question. It's probably going to have a little bit of crossover. Uh, But how do you enjoy gaming now? And what is it that makes gaming, like, what is it that makes it enjoyable to you now? So... Right now, the kinds of games I play are, uh, let me, let me open, open up my Steam really quick. 
Uh, so let's see. The the games I play right now are I play a lot of horror games and I play a lot of, um, uh, yeah, that's pretty much right now. Right now, I'm really ever since uh, Ted suggested I make a game for the Dreadx Two collection, I've just been on a crazy horror binge because I didn't realize I was into horror until I was forced to make a horror game. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm seeing you know stuff like uh. Dead by Daylight, Darkest Dungeon, World of Horror, uh, you know, Five Nights at Freddy's, stuff like that. Um, basically, because um, my favorite thing to do in games, oh yeah, and Catherine, of course, duh. Um, Catherine's like my favorite game of all time. <laughs> if I have, I have, I probably haven't mentioned that in this interview, but I've mentioned it maybe ten times in every other one I've been in. <laughs> but but um, I like horror a lot. Because seeing all the ways that people can come up with new ways to scare you or give you goosebumps is really exciting. Um, you know, um, it, it's very hard, I think, for horror to go stale. Just because as long as you're scary, it's always something new. I feel like I can, you know, um, with a with a a horror game. It's very, very hard to be bored when you're scared, you know, out of your pants. <laughs> and so um, I've been into the world of horror, uh, lots of Junji Ito stuff. I think I bought like 10 Junji Ito books just because I, the, the stuff that he comes up with is just um, mind boggling. Yeah, so um, creative scares, creative situations, and then creative gameplay. So I think that's why Hideo Kojima is like one of my favorite developers because he just comes up with some really nut stuff that makes you really question what's a video game. Yeah, you know, yes. Very, very fair. Um <laughs> there's a f I want there's two there's a few things I want to touch on here. Or at least I wanna I wanna follow up on. Um the first uh being um you know for, for someone that is also kind of getting into horror games, it was the Dread X games that I sort of first stepped into and was enjoying and they were nice little bite sized portions. Uh you know able to you know just sample them and find out what kind of horror is most enjoyable for me um in my case it's the games that you aren't you aren't actively being pursued by something all of the time if that makes sense uh like for example the the first amnesia game i i didn't enjoy that much um uh, alien isolation i believe it is mm -hmm. i i struggled to to enjoy because well i know that you have you know, chunks of downtime, chunks of time to breathe. It was the anxiety of the anxiety and frustration that, you know, at any given time, that timer could just click and suddenly it's go time for the monster to be re-engaging with me. And, you know, I, I've learned through the Dread XP games what kind of stuff I'm enjoying. I'm wondering what kind of horror games are you enjoying? Like what kind of um, aspects of a horror game um or make it a game that you're going to play and what kind of aspects of horror games kind of aren't for you yeah so um i really like um games that have a lot of tension and atmosphere um and um don't really rely on like jump scares to be scary i know that's kind of like a a, a big uh uh uh, I don't know, like a cliche of, pe of people hating jump scares and liking bone-chilling atmospheric <laughs> A24 movies and horrors, but um, that is kind of my type. Uh, I do kind of like weird horror, weird scares. Um, like, my favorite horror game uh, right now is probably like a tie between, like, in terms of horror, like Catherine and uh, World of Horror, which are two games that don't have jump scares in them. Uh, World of Horror is like the Junji Ito roguelike type game. I think it's published by Yizbird Games, and that's the developer Panstage. And then Catherine is the Atlas published game where it's like eating sim horror. And neither game has jump scares in it, um, in its core gameplay. And they're both very, very, very atmospheric with very strong um, art direction, which is what I kind of vibes with. So very artsy, very unique, very atmospheric horrors that don't really rely on. Uh, jump scares to be creepy and give you goosebumps, I think is my favorite. 
you know, and yeah, that that makes sense. And I think I'm, you know, I've I've been always meaning to play Catherine as a as a fan of the Shin Megami Tensei in general. It's always kind of been on my list. Um, my significant other actually owns it, and I've just never played it. Um, but yeah, I've been meaning to play it, knowing that it's kind of a horror game, and I'm you know kind of doing a horror dive. I'm gonna look into it because I didn't realize it was horror, and that's you know good to know. Um, <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> I knew I knew that it was somewhat psychological. I just didn't know to to what extent. And you know the the Junji Ito game, um, World of Horror. Uh, I didn't realize it was a roguelike. And you know you you saying that magic word also has now me perked up to to take a closer look at that. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, um the, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I no, was no, going to say the um, I was going to say uh, the horror elements of Catherine are basically to trim everything down to a fuse. Is you are a guy who accidentally has an affair on his, uh, well, girlfriend, possibly going to be a fiancé. Um, and as a result, he starts getting nightmares about the things haunting him. And so during the day, it's like a dating sim while you're choosing between these two girls, your fiancé or this new flame that's popped up. And then at night, you have uh, nightmares of the thing haunting the characters in the form of you having to climb up this... Uh, tower of blocks that's slowly falling away into ether while being chased by some like six story tall monstrous form of either of something from your from your um uh that's haunting you during the day like when your fiance is suspected to be pregnant uh, a giant like six story baby starts crawling after you while you're trying to escape while it's screaming like da 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 it's, it's, it's absolutely scary <laughs> and um uh it's it definitely really works up your uh, anxiety because you're supposed to be like pushing these blocks around to make a path to the top all the while you're being chased. And so it's that kind of horror mechanic where you have to think clearly whilst being like actively chased by something. You know, and thank you for that, because I I've seen gameplay and it never I, I don't know if I just didn't connect the dots or, you know, never playing it, never knew. But I didn't know that, you know, the thing that was pushing the timer was uh you know the the character's um anxiety from from their day or from the the current events so that's cool to know and you know thank you for that because like i said i that makes me a little more interested in uh getting to to finally getting time to actually sit down and play it uh when you know i've been waiting to try and find time for literal years at this point yeah i'll definitely play the original over full body i think though there's there's two versions. There's the original classic, and then there's the um, the uh, remake, which is full body, which adds in a couple more content. But I think the original is a little bit more. Um, uh, it's a little. Uh, what's the word? It's a, it's a little bit more of a clean cut, straight shot game. While the full body adds in some some extra stuff that I don't think really works very well for it. Um. But yeah, definitely give it a shot. I'm, I'm trying anyway, I'm trying to talk anyone that'll listen to me into playing it because I think it's like a perfect game. Yeah, you know, and you know, like, like I said, you you know, you you just mentioning it was horror kind of has sold me. So yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I will I'll take a look at that and I'll keep in mind what you said about the the original being a little clean cut. Um, I'm I'm presuming what I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but I'm presuming what you mean there is with the added the added stuff. Uh, it kind of made it maybe made things a little sloppier, whereas everything's packaged a little nicer in the original. Yeah, yeah. They added in a third love interest that kind of muddles the dichotomy that was really strong between the first two. And so um, it, it, I think the first one is just a neater story. You know, and thank you, because that makes sense. And I will I'll keep that in mind to when I'm when I'm taking a look and doing my best to track everything down. So, so Akabaka, there's, you know, something I, I, you know, really quickly wanted to touch on. Um, what is it about Hideo Kojima and his, you know, his narrative style and everything that, that you, you, you go for? And I know that that can be a very vague question. I apologize uh, if it is. Because <laughs> the guy is nuts. <laughs> there is, there's, so... Hideo Kojima is just off the wall crazy with this game design, and I love it. It's, um, 
I, I really love, you know, like I said earlier, I really love unique uh, ideas. And Hideo Kojima is that in spades. <laughs> like, I don't know how much you've heard about his old escapades, but like when he was on, uh, I think when he was making Metal Gear Solid Snake Eater or one of the other Metal Gear Solid games, he wanted to coat the CDs in dried blood so that when you got to a certain scene, your computer would heat up and would make your room smell like blood for a, for like a, a, a bloody scene. <laughs> he just that's that's pretty much part of the course for his ideas. He's done crazy things like put himself in the game as the character Hideo Kojima. He's he's he did that one thing in Snake Eater where you want you're you're caught with an enemy sniper who's going to die of old age in a week. And if you turn off your game and come back a week later, he's died of old age and you don't have to fight him. Like um he really he really keeps it fresh and really you know really thinks to himself he really asks himself the question what is a video game and what can we do with it and you get really weird really interesting outcomes with questions like that like death stranding which i loved <laughs> i thought it was incredible uh same with uh, phantom pain um but my my, my biggest uh, attraction to his games and his work are that he's <laughs> eventually you're just going to come to something in one of his games that just blows your mind with we even thought about putting something like that inside of a game like thanks to Hideo Kojima now we, now I know what it looks like when Norman Reedus is peeing in a stream in Death Stranding <laughs> <laughs> so yes thank you and you know it's I know that for some people that's such a, a, a could or should be such an obvious question or such a boring question, if you will, just because, you know, it's Hideo Kojima. But at the same time, you know, you, you, like you, you nailed it. He's, he's absolutely crazy. And it's, it's absolutely uh, fantastic to see what kind of crazy stuff he just wants to do. But I love that. I love that question. And I love asking it to people that say they like him just because it's like you said, you have your own crazy things that you you've experienced from his games that you can cite and it's not always going to be the same um you know for example i i don't think i've ever heard someone say i i now get to know what it looks like with nor to see norman reedus pee in pee in a river <laughs> but you know that's one of the things you took away for what made you love what he did because of just how bananas it is to be like okay well we need you to mocap peeing in that stream for us um just go over there and pretend to pee like just it's not so much just the 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 aspect of 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 you know it existing it's the amount of steps i'm i'm not correct me if i'm wrong but i'm i'm presuming it's the thought process and the amount of steps that it would have taken to get from point a to point b is you know the whole package for what what you just at what you enjoy right yeah and it's just um yeah he <laughs> So he has a lot of like wild, crazy, like like ideas that are here and there. But then every now and then he'll just kind of struck strike gold that completely changes the video game scene because he thought of something that nobody even thought to do. Like I'm pretty sure he was responsible for Psychomantis reading your memory card to tell you what other games you play. Like having a boss look you in the eye and say, "You like Super Monkey Ball too, don't you?" Like that might be like one of the earlier like one of the earliest fourth wall breaks I can think of back like way in early Psychomantis Metal Gear Solid and I feel like things like that paved the way for like Doki Doki Literature Club like learning what your first name is by reading your environmental variables on your computer and other games messing around with your computer background or your files to add scares I feel like you know someone has to come up with something crazy in order to come up with something like that just completely innovates an entire genre of gaming, I think. And so having somebody just churning out these crazy, <laughs> wild ideas, it, it, it means he, he, he's eventually going to come up with something so like revolutionary that it's just going to, once again, you know, change the trajectory of what people are making. You know, I, I understand what you're saying. And yeah, you're I think you're absolutely right that, you know, someone has to be someone has to take that first step for other people to be able to follow. Right. Um, 
Now, well, as much as I'd love to continue on on this path, because I'm sure there's many different things and many different crazy things that could be said about Hideo Kojima. Uh, at the same time, though, I don't want to take up too much of your, more of your time because I know that you are, you know, a busy person working on two games, uh, one coming up, uh, one that I believe the the prelude just became available and, you know, all of that. So, you know, there were a few questions I wanted to make sure we got to uh, before before I, uh, you know, before I stop stealing your time. Mm-hmm. So, Akabaka, uh, one of the things that you wanted to discuss, and I am interested in hearing about this as well. Uh, what game did you enjoy that you don't feel got enough credit? So that's that was uh, Catherine one hundred percent. So, um, uh, Catherine, the game I described earlier, um, was just despite being by Atlas, who had uh, shipped like Persona titles between Catherine, um, was kind of panned when it came out. Uh, people didn't really get it. People didn't really play it. People barely heard of it. Um, and nowadays, when I whenever I bring it up, like people don't even know what I'm talking about when I mention it. It's um, it's it's really surprising to me that um, it didn't do well when it came out, when it had all of the uh, fixings of what made other games made by Atlas popular, like it. I think it was if I heard if I heard correctly, it was it it used the UI and 3D modeling that was later, um, it was the prototype for Persona 5's like stylishness. Like when you, um, Persona 4 and Persona 3 used kind of low res, small like chibi models, and then Persona 5 made the leap to full size, highly detailed like rendered environments, and Catherine was the stepping stone to get there. And then people also like, you know, the waifus in Persona, and Catherine is all about dating so it's um it was just really surprising to me that people passed passed on it and i'm not sure if it was a matter of branding like they pass by it and they see a very provocative anime girl on the front and they think it's going to be the anime version of leisure suit larry or something one of those you know very very smut bait type games but um it's got this it's, it's got um audio made by shoji Megoro art made by Shigenori Soejima, which is the composer and the artist for the flagship Persona games. Uh, it's got a tight story, uh, compelling gameplay, and all in all, the art, story, and um, gameplay all blend together so seamlessly that it's what I believe is truly like a flawless 10 out of 10, 100 out of 100 game that I think if people gave it a chance would really love, but it, it it seems just to have, I think the problem wasn't, um, maybe people didn't get it as much as it was people didn't try it, and so that's why whenever I get, <laughs> whenever someone will listen to me talk about it, I talk about it to great length. But yeah, so all the folks listening to this podcast, go play Catherine. <laughs> you have it has the Akabaka stamp of approval. It is good. I promise. <laughs> yeah, you know and. Like I said, I'm you know it's always been on my list, but you know the the things you've said about it have all have only really pushed it further up on my list of you know to make time for or try and find time for, and I never really thought about it. But you're I I think you're absolutely correct in that the the character models, the art style, what have you, um the 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 flat the two D style for Persona for for Persona three four five and, and Catherine and and such, they all are you know they are all are very similar. But the shift from what Persona 3 and 4 did for their 3D uh, model and styles and such, uh, for Catherine, you're right, it's very close to, to Persona 5. And I, I don't think I would be, I don't think I would want to try and argue with you that, that, you know, that's, you know, there was other factors in there. Because it really does look like that that might have been where they kind of shocked the idea, so to say, and were, were trying it. Because you know, like I said, I, I I see it. I can, I, and I agree completely that that is, um, that that is like a very similar style. And I've never actually looked at or thought of it that way before. But that's that's a great perspective. So thank you. Yeah, and then uh, only other other title I feel the same way about is Persona Persona Five Strikers. Um, it is also it looks like it's going to be like a spinoff of Persona Five, but once again, it's got a really tight story, really good music. Then the gameplay is also really fun. 
if not an improvement on the original title. So it was one of those, the, the um, it was one of, oh, and then also Persona Q. Persona Q, Catherine, and Persona Strikers all, all for the same reason of it looked like it was just going to be like a, a spin-off side hustle type game to be a cash grab, but was actually, in my opinion, like superior in every way to the actual flagship games. And you know, I am Persona Strikers of Five Strikers. That's on my list. I'm not gonna. I, I can't speak too much to it only because I haven't beat Persona Five yet. Uh, myriad of reasons. Um, the short and long of it is I screwed up in three, and or I screwed up in five on the PS like on the the first version. Um, after a few dungeons and got to a place where I just didn't have what I needed to per- continue on, and I knew that you know, the, the golden version, so to say, would be coming. So I waited for Royal and just haven't had time for it. So I have to beat that before Strikers and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have only, I have heard only good things about it. So that's um, great to hear from what, from what you said to, to know that, you know, I, if, if I was down for what five presented, I'm only going to be, you know, happier with it. Um, Persona Q, that's an interesting, that's an interesting game to bring up. Not because I'm I'm dismissing it, not because I'm saying I disagree. Um, it's just an interesting game to bring up because you're it it doesn't seem like a lot of people don't seem to know that those the Q one and Q two the labyrinth games that they exist and you know I think for those that are fans of Atrician Odyssey or more classic first person dungeon crawl RPG games where you have you know a handful of characters. Uh, a front row, a back row, all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a shame because, you know, while I might not agree with everything Persona Q did, I think it was a very interesting way to let people play an Atrician Odyssey or a dungeon crawl game like that, where, you know, it's kind of a little more focused uh, in the same way that the Atrician Odyssey Untold Story series did, which I think they dropped. But, you know, instead of letting you just make a character... And having you kind of experiment yourself into a corner, you know, you're kind of given, you know, characters X, Y, and Z, and you are going to play with characters that, in in the Persona Q games, familiar characters that are going to be crafted in such a way that are much harder to to mess up or to to break in a negative way. Um, you know, definitely with the first Persona Q, at least, um, there was a very very fun and easy meta to to break the game uh after about the mid game i think it was was it the myriad arrows exploit or was it uh um it wasn't so much an exploit it was um abusing naoto's or Nio- however you want to pronounce it uh her 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 status ailment effects that you could just abuse with that and then just pumping i i think it was uh, using Aegis and Kenji to basically just pump them up real hard so that you could then do a lot of damage with one of them uh, by just buff boosting them and buff boosting an enemy that's, you know, like poisoned or something like that. It's been a few years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, there were a couple effective combos. Um, my main, if we're talking gameplay, my main things that I liked that were improvements over Persona, I think, was the sub Persona system um, that let you assign more abilities than just. Uh, what the character had, and so you you were able to have more coverage. You know, Kanji wasn't just the lightning guy anymore; he could be lightning and fire if you gave him a fire sub persona. Um, it let you have more freedom with what characters you were using. Um, the boost system that um, lets you deal cast a spell for free if you hit exploit a weakness um, really helped the um, persona combat system a lot. I think because before it was just a matter of SP management. It was like, oh, I can either use my SP ability and just run out of SP for not much payoff, or I can, you know, just bash away with melee, which nothing has that much of a resistance to. But here, if you exploit a weakness, you got to do a cast for free, so you could zap somebody with a weakness from a sub persona, and then use your most expensive instant kill ability for free the next turn. And so it felt very strategic to me. And then the the biggest really for Persona Q though, once again for me was story, as I thought the story was was really really beautiful. And um, part of it was the uh, was the inspiration behind Chromatos, actually, because it was it infected me so much. And you know that's that's really interesting. And you know, thank you for sharing that. Uh, you know the 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 
where you know you where you got so the inspiration from and such and you know i don't i don't disagree because you know as you're talking about it's reminding me and you know yeah q did you know the the way that q was presented with you know uh the the chain roll that you could do to as you said just blast off your most expensive skill um was was a real nice change of pace for for when you're man for sp management and i if a memory serves you know uh, something similar was kind of incorporated into Persona 5 and such, but being able, you know, having something else do it before then, you know, is a much needed quality of life uh, change when when it, when a game is so dependent on you having to manage SP or manage health or, you know, basically just yeah. micromanage everything to the point where if you don't, you're going to put yourself in a position where you're going to hurt yourself more, right? Yeah. Oh. One, one thing that does huge circle like Persona Q, one thing really when they do it, um, they put horror in a non-horror game. That was incredible. Uh, <laughs> the entire third dungeon was like a haunted house type level, complete with jump scares and enemies that you would follow you around. And, you know, there's, there's something to, to be said about, like, horror games. You, you log in expecting horror, you get horror, and it's pretty scary. But playing a regular game and then getting thrown into horror mechanics is all—it—it—it it, 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 it takes you with that sort of smash hit of surprise that horror games don't have because you're expecting it, and that almost feeds back into like Sucker for Love a little bit, where it, it kind of goads you, or DDLC, where it goads you in with cutesy, you know, lightheartedness, and then surprise—it's actually horror mechanics, <laughs> and you have to like survive now. It's it's I think it's one of my favorite things in video games when it does that. You know, yes, and I I agree cuz you know that that dungeon was something I wasn't expecting and it was, you know, it well it was a uh, I'm going to say a classic so to say Japanese kind of inspired horror story. It was, you know, all those dungeons were wildly unique. Similar, you know, not not dissimilar from Persona 4 and such but they were done in such an interesting way and it was you know the the new mechanics that they were able to introduce into them instead of it just being okay well here's a theme here's a horror theme here's a, a sauna theme or what have you they were able to actually implement mechanics for those themes that were fitting instead of just things that they would otherwise they would use elsewhere right yeah it almost seems like they because the games are like smaller they have more creative freedom with it they're allowed to, you know, uh, they don't have to go for the crowd pleaser as we found. <laughs> they, they, um, I, if I recall correctly, a lot of people really hated the horror section because they weren't there for a horror game and they weren't prepared for it. A lot of people really struggled to get through a jump scare heavy portion of the game, and so they took it out for Persona Q two. <laughs> um, yeah, the, 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 I'm pretty sure the publisher said, okay, we're not doing jump scare dungeons again because everyone hated it. But I thought it was incredible. <laughs> and, you know, I I myself was not a fan of it, um, only because, well, partly because of the, the jump scares, as well as the game was a little difficult at times. And if I remember correctly, that was not a easy place, because by the time you were there in the game, you weren't at a level where you were able to easily exploit the enemies. So, you know, you were getting jump scared by hard enemies, being chased by hard enemies, and, you know, for me, my anxiety ran just a little too uh, too high for it. And I did my best to get through it. But um, I don't blame people. And I don't I don't blame people for, for saying, no, I'm sorry, this isn't for me. And I also don't blame uh, Atlas for, for saying, no, no, this isn't happening again. Please, no. <laughs> now, Akabaka, like I said, I don't want to take too much more of your time. But I do want to sneak one more question in before I let you go, if you're okay with that. Yeah, go ahead. So what kind of game would you like to make if you were given, you know, the absolute freedom to just just go to it? Ooh, that's a good question. So I would make an adult game with a AAA budget <laughs> if I could make whatever I wanted. I uh so one thing that I kind of 
you, you might get this impression from playing my games since they're very, very heavily romance and dating themed, uh, is I believe that uh, games shouldn't be so shy of romantic themes and like sexual content and stuff when literally next door, you know, we can show like hyper-realistic gore and war crimes. You know, like I can click over to, you know, Spec Ops The Line and or or hell like i i could name three triple a games where you can hire a prostitute and then kill her uh but those same games won't like actually have the scene in it and it's kind of surprising to me how people have got how draconian the industry is with uh, romantic themes but not with anything else like 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 it's 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 too taboo to show like a healthy romantic relationship but at the same time we could show highly realistic, visceral eye gouging in Dead Space 2 and have it just be on shelves. So um, I think I would want a game with like adult content, but it not is not about the content. It's like it would be like a regular game like Fire Emblem or Persona with with uh, that's got like a core game and core gameplay, but has romantic themes in it and lets you uh, carry them out. Kind of like how Cyberpunk 2077 did, I think. Across to them for like actually putting romantic scenes in their game, but um, basically what I'd do would be some sort of anime type game with a big budget, <laughs> like a high quality Fire Emblem type or like Persona type, and then just have it also have adult content, in it, and I think would be my dream game. And you know, I I understand where you're coming from with that, and. You know, I, I've I've heard that echoed a lot, and I don't disagree with the. I don't disagree with where you're coming from for it because you know you're absolutely correct. You know, if if literally you know right on the shelf you already have this game where you are, uh, like you said for Dead Space, you know, gouging out eyes and you know delimbing and stomping yeah, around or, or take weird like, mutant take babies. Like <laughs> yeah, or Mortal Kombat's, you know, X-ray scenes and whatnot. Yeah. So, you know, I completely understand where you're coming from and I don't I don't disagree. Uh so yeah, that's that's a really interesting, you know, interesting approach to want to take for it. Um if 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 I may circle back around to something we discussed earlier, it might honestly take Hideo Kojima before that is something that's seen as any kind of a norm. Yeah. Um but no, I, I think yeah. oh, sorry. Uh, Cyberpunk 2077 actually did it, and I was kind of surprised by that. I don't know if you heard about that, but uh, yeah, there's um, there's on-camera uh, sex scenes in Cyberpunk 2077. And, you know, that doesn't shock me per se, because, you know, uh, CD Projekt Red did that with The Witcher, I believe, or at least some, some forms of it. And, you know, them pushing that boundary, that, that doesn't shock me. And I think the thing that <laughs> likely i think the thing that likely made people not criticize them too much for for that um was the fact that it wasn't the core gameplay and you know it would be interesting to see it would be interesting just to see if there was something that was introduced in the future uh you know in in the same vein where it's just a normalizing effect to to kind of maybe make it so it's not such a weird niche market and i i say that in the sense of i am well aware that there are not a large like i'm well aware that there's they're not always niche in the sense of what they're catering to uh however it can go south very quickly and i think you know having normalized ones in ways that are not you know sim handled sim handled similarly to like say the witcher for cyberpunk would probably just help make it you know something that people are a little less afraid to do when making games that are rated M or the equivalent and and such. But I I think I think the unfortunate part of that is the 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 challenge would be people or children effectively picking it up and, and going. And I, I say that only because, you know, I um I have firsthand watched a twelve year old at best uh, convince their mother that they needed Grand Theft Auto 3 or Grand Theft Auto San Andreas 
and they were only going to do everything that wasn't the drug-related stuff. And they were okay with that. They were okay with the everything but the drug-related stuff and the, um, the, 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 the hooker stuff, right? So it's, so I don't know, I'm not, I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm just trying to add that it's, you know, the, the, the nuanced of how it would work is I hope that that's something that can be worked out. And I, I forget the game that's, that, um, that was coming out or has already kind of released where a major studio was, was behind it. And, you know, as, as they want to go to GDG to talk about, uh, and were de- denied uh, by their, from according to what they said, because they they pioneered, as they said, um, breast physics. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think companies wanting to push stuff like that is is an interesting approach, and you know, hopefully that can be a thing in the future, because I I know there's a market for it, and I think again because I'm tr- I don't want to get too far into it, and I think I think people that know are well aware of why. But, you know, a, a healthy market for it, I think, would be a fantastic thing to just exist, you know? Mm-hmm. Sorry, and I, I know I don't, I didn't, no, no way was I intending to say all that and make it sound like I was arguing or disagreeing with you. Um, I was just trying to dance around my hopes for it in in very specific ways. Yeah, no, I understand. Dan, and I, I definitely see where you're coming from. The um, the the thing with the kids picking up the game, um, I mean they could do that now with say Witcher or Cyberpunk if they talk their parents into it. Um, but at the same time, I also think that there's definitely far worse on shelves in terms of horror, gore, crimes, you know, war crimes at that. Um, on shelves of 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 you know pretty common games. Like I. I I'm pretty sure you you would you can see far worse than two you know uh, adults in a healthy relationship in a video game, especially horror ones. You know, in terms of things that will damage it, two adults in a healthy relationship I think are kind of low on the list compared to uh, uh, you know the violence and gore that is all over the place and that we don't even get bad an eye at. But that's again just my personal stance. That's that's kind of why I'd real. That's why it's of my dream game as in i dream about making it probably won't but um, i don't know one hey if sucker goes up then that's you know and 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 dread xp gets really cool with a lot of things very quickly then who knows (laughs) (laughs) yes and i i you know and thank you for the point you made and i you know i didn't think about it like that and i i understand i agree completely is that you know on the list of horrible things that a child could or I, I shouldn't say a child um but a younger person or what have you could see um you know a, a healthy relationship between two adults is far lower on the horrible scale than you know what you can see in in a lot of games in terms of gore and, and violence and and everything that a lot of people just don't bat an eye to and you know so thank you because that is that is a, a good and interesting perspective that I never actually I never actually thought to, to thought of. So that's, thank you. That's a good, good perspective. And, you know, hopefully if everything goes right, maybe, maybe you can <laughs> find a way in the future to, to pave that way. Or as I said, you know, fingers crossed that Hideo Kojima goes really crazy and gets a lot of money <laughs> and he paves that way for everyone else. And it's something that you don't have to worry too much about for what you're doing in the future, you know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Kabaka. As I said, I didn't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, however, if there's anything else you want to discuss, a cool game, what you're doing, something you feel more people should be aware of, or just be aware of, the floor is yours. As well, please let everyone know where they can find more information about you, which I'll also include in the episode description. Sure. So, uh, so Sucker for Love is coming out uh, fairly soon. And uh, sometime after that, there will be more, uh, as of now, there will be more uh, Sucker for Love titles, including more gods and different player workers. I'm particularly excited for this um, next one, Sucker for Love's uh, Second Date, which features the um, Eldritch God, the Black Goat in the Woods. Um, not saying the Lovecraftian, because it is a thinly veiled racial slur, but... 
<laughs> um, it'll be, it turns a lot of mechanics from Sucker for Love 1 on its head. So there, there'll be um, multiple threats at once. There'll be um, moving about the houses. There'll be uh, um, uh, how do you describe it? Uh, basically, it'll be akin to like a home invasion type sim where there are threats in your house and you're trying to avoid them. And it'll, I'm, I'm pretty excited to share uh, the stuff that comes from that with all of y'all soon. Um, to follow along, I have my Twitter, which is ChromatosDev. Um, but you can also just Google Akabaka or Sucker for Love Twitter and it should come up. Uh, you, you can hear more about me, my games, and my projects by either following my Twitter, uh, DreadXP's Twitter, or joining either of our Discords, which are on our Twitters. Awesome, and thank you for, for sharing that, as well as, you know, a little bit more information about, you know, the, the follow-up to Sucker for Love. That sounds like it's going to be incredibly fun and incredibly interesting to, to juggle all of that as well. Also interest, uh, also looking forward to, to Chromatose, because you know, it sounds like it's going to be an interesting, interesting experience. And as I said, I'll also include links to that so people can easily click through and, and get to it for you. I appreciate it. to follow you. <laughs> Now, Akabaka, if there wasn't anything else, I will let you get back to your day. Uh, you know, I, back to your busy schedule of working on two games and keeping those plates plates moving. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well done. Awesome. And, you know, thank you so much. I, you know, pleasure's all mine. I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. And, yeah, just a huge thanks to, to you, Akabaka, for making the time to have this conversation with me. As well as thank you for joining us on the Red Tunic Podcast, and a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for the use of the music from the title track from Rogue's Deep. And if you like this podcast and want to support it and help it grow, please subscribe or follow me on Red Twitter. <laughs> follow me at uh, on Twitter at Red Tunic Podcast to receive the latest episodes and news, and be sure to share if those you think might also enjoy it. Thanks, and until next time. <laughs>